The opinions expressed on this program are solely those of its hosts, guests, or callers, and do not necessarily represent the opinions of WTBR-FM, its management, other producers, or sponsors. You're listening to And So It Flows, your only show for H2O. I'm your super water man, ambassador for water, and today's episode is a trigger warning, Gaza and water. I'm talking with Farrah Moman, a local entrepreneur and leader of some Palestine rallies for ceasefire, and she'll be joining us in a few minutes, so stay tuned for that. Got some water music coming your way. In the abundance of water, the fool will get thirsty. Our job here, our job here, is to be able to talk about anything because water connects it all. And Today we're going to be focusing on some of the water issues Gaza faces, not to mention the issue that it faces right in front of us. So uh, we'll be having our conversation with Farrah Moman soon. She'll be joining the show. Really glad that she's going to be joining our show so we can have that conversation because it's a conversation that water connects to and it's a conversation that... It's important. We're all grown adults, most of us listening. If not, it's still something to have a good convo about. First song up, this is actually uh, El Fanoon, Palestinian popular music. It's called Fetching Water. And you're again, you're listening to And So It Flows, your only show for H2O. Your people counting hundred for the natives were Oops. Oops. Back to our Yes. 
تسكيني من الجرة لا تسكيني من الجرة وحيات عينك يا سمرة وحيات عينك يا سمرة ما بوخذ غيرك بالمرة ما بوخذ غيرك بالمرة
You're listening to And So It Flows, your only show for H2O, here at 89.7 WTBR-FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, from the heart of the Berkshire Mountains all around the world, bringing water-loving listeners all sorts of really cool water-related topics and water music and water culture, water consciousness. You could find us on Google Podcasts, Amazon Audible, Apple Music, Castos, Podacy, Podcast Addict, and keep searching for it. You'll find it in other places as well. Give a little love over to our Spotify uh, playlist of uh, water songs uh, on which uh, Tears in Heaven is on by Eric Clapton. Today's show, Water and Gaza, and I thought Tears in Heaven would be a really good opportunity for us to really get the grief, really get the grief. And before that, we had Pet, uh, Fetching Water by El Fanoon. It's uh, off their Zarif album. That's a Palestinian song about fetching water. We got some water news coming your way. And this is from our friends over at Northeast Public Media over there in Worcester. Uh, this is uh, a story that we find here. Another layer of misery. Women in Gaza struggle to find menstrual pads and running water. Death, hunger, disease. These are some of the visible consequences of Israel's war in Gaza. But for more than half a million women and girls there, there is a less visible kind of suffering. One that recurs every few weeks, war or not. NPR's Ea Batrawi has this report. Women in Gaza are struggling in ways that are difficult to openly talk about in this traditional society. But basically, pads and toilet paper are in short supply. Ruba Hakila is a gender and child protection expert in Gaza. If you search in all the uh, pharmacies, yeah, the pharmacies that you know, you're not going to find anything at all. Like, and if found, it's five and six times the price. She says not only are pads more expensive to buy, putting them out of reach for most of Gaza's impoverished and now unemployed households, but they're nowhere to be found a lot of the time. That's because of Israel's near total siege of Gaza for the past three months, following a deadly rampage in Israel by Hamas militants on October 7th. Another challenge is finding a bathroom and running water. You cannot clean quite well in this regard, so it's messy, it's terrible, and nobody speaks about it. Akila says some women wake up early and line up at hospitals to shower and use the bathroom. 
This is especially hard, though, for pregnant women facing pressure on their bladder and women who've just given birth and are going through weeks of postpartum bleeding. The sound of an Israeli drone buzzes overhead as Akila explains how women are suffering in silence. She says they're cutting up towels, secondhand clothes, and even the corners of their tents to use as pads. The only way to do it is just to do it with scissors. And yes, no water, no toilet paper, no privacy, no pads in the market. And yes, that's terrible for women, and it is a big issue here. But DIY pads aren't a workable solution for all women. Life in Gaza is a struggle for survival. People are spending their days searching for food and drinking water, and many have had to relocate more than once as Israel orders more areas it's bombing to evacuate. Heba Ostrov, a young woman in Gaza, sent this voice memo to NPR's producer, Abu Bakr Bashir. I have a lot of friends that are taking pills to prevent their periods because there are no pads. Around 2 million people, nearly all of Gaza, are now displaced and homeless. Most are living in overcrowded UN-run schools, where sometimes 400 people share a single bathroom. Others are living in the open or in tents. Isan Aouda has been vividly documenting her life in Gaza throughout the war to her 3.7 million followers on Instagram. She posted a video talking about the stigma around not finding pads. Women now are simply exposed to psychological and physical health risks because there's no products to use during their periods. Women are shy to tell you this, but they don't have to be shy, actually. In another video, she showed what the inside of a makeshift bathroom in a tent encampment in Khan Yunus in Gaza looks like. There is no water, there is nothing around them. There is no infrastructure. They're living just in a tent. Um, and they need bathroom. They're humans. They made this. She pans to a garbage basket that doubles as a toilet. They're having bath here. She shows a plastic rectangular bucket on the ground. Can you imagine? This is a bathroom. Only a fraction of the aid Gaza needs is entering every day. The UN says everyone in Gaza is hungry and that half of Gaza is starving. The aid trucks that are coming in are mostly packed with food, filtered water, or medical aid, not with the items that women need to deal with their cycles. Women's menstrual struggles are a private taboo topic, even in wartime. Hiba Ostrov describes it as, quote, the issue in her voice We are moving around a lot. We don't have the luxury of sitting around and relaxing, so the issue is really hard. We literally drown. UNICEF told NPR they've distributed more than 41,000 hygiene kits that include pads in Gaza since the start of the war. But they say nearly 70 trucks with more of these kits and other essential items have been at border crossings for weeks waiting for Israeli checks to enter. And it's only a sliver of what's needed. Women in Gaza say menstruation has become a monthly humiliation and another layer of suffering. Aya Batrawi, NPR News. And now, more from NPR. Actually, no more from NPR today, but that uh, story, another layer of misery, women in Gaza struggled to find menstrual pads and running water, was brought to us by NPR, and that was broadcast a few weeks ago. There's a lot going on in Gaza. Today is our Water and Gaza show. Uh, We're going to be talking with Farah Momin, one of the organizers of some of the protests going on here in Berkshire County. And she'll be uh, having a conversation with us. She does a lot of work 
in this area. So we'll be looking forward to actually having her on. She should be here in studio in about 10 minutes, so stay tuned. You're listening to And So It Flows, your only show for H2O. Next song up by Boney M. And this is going to be Rivers of Babylon.
You're listening to And So It Flows, your only show for H2O. That was Rock the Boat, just like this show is. This show is rocking the boat today because we're having our show on Gaza and water. Before that, uh, that was, by the way, Rock the Boat is Hughes Corporation. Rivers of Babylon, before that, by Boney M. And uh, really excited that we're going to have a really great conversation with Farah Momin. Farah is a local restaurateur and organizer of some of the pro-ceasefire rallies that are happening in Berkshire County. So uh, excited to be talking with her in just a few minutes, so stay tuned. Got a little bit of poetry coming your way. Here at And So It Flows, it's about having those conversations, it's about 
connecting with that H2O because it's everywhere. It's in our life and it's in death, as you can see, because we're talking about Gaza today. And there's a heck of a lot of that death going on right now. And that brings us to the poem. Is rain water in Palestine? This is by Makoma Wan Nagoy. In peace, rain is water. As children, warm rain is a blessing, a plaything, a puddle, the joy of disturbing, cloudy reflections of ourselves. In war, rain, water is a weapon, a blockade, the f- drying taps bombing you out of your home. In war, Palestinian blood now rains freely like bombs. Never again. All our wells are water is now all our blood is what we have done. That is is rain water in Palestine by Makoma Wa Nagoy. She wrote that in November on November 8th of 2023, so it's rather recent. Yeah, poetry is meant to be a little bit thought-provoking and uh, that's what this show is about so we got a little bit more music coming your way and then we're going to be bringing on farah in just a couple of minutes so stay tuned hey farah you want to say a quick hello to some of our water loving listeners around the world howdy folks i'm excited to to have the conversation about what brings us all together quite literally (laughs) yeah really 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 so thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll be back right with you in just a minute. We got this next tune, and this is O Palestine, O Palestine by Seth Staten Watkins, uh, who I believe is of Irish descent, and he put this up recently. The natives were expelled From the land of their ancestors Their homes and cities shelled From the traitors in Transjordan To clandestine British demand By the settlers' Irish army That rampaged across the land Oh, Israel did invade To conquer and to colonize What little had remained The people of old Palestine Once again their faith entwined With the Zionist occupation Of their homes 
They've come a final time To destroy your homes and families With a murderous lethal design The bombs our head are falling As our leaders continue their lies The sky does glow and the blood it flows As we hear the children's cries Oh, Your people will be free. Well, that was Seth Watkins bringing that over uh, the pond. Oh, Palestine, oh, Palestine. Uh, and from the river to the sea, he's, he's wanting them to be free. And then Rock the Boat, which this uh, episode is a Rock the Boat episode. We're having a conversation today with Farah Moman. Farah, welcome to And So It Flows. Really excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so a little bit about Farah. For those of you who don't know, she is a real, I guess, a foodie, a foodie, an <laughs> entrepreneur. She's exploring the way in which food experiences can be healing, reflective, and connective tool for individuals of all walks of life. And that's kind of really, really great because that's the way I see water. Mm. And water can be classified as one of the many food groups because it's essential in the making of food and essential in our lives. So Tell, tell me, uh, you know, I, I heard about you uh, basically by doing a, a search on Gaza and water and you popped up Yeah, in a local paper. And tell, like, first of all, tell people a little bit more about who you are and what you do. And then what got you so interested in this subject and why did you go the extra length to to put uh you know put yourself out there yeah yeah um the way you found me is a relatively new way i think for people to find me in the berkshires uh in regards to some of my activism um on on palestine though the issue has been near and dear 
for for pretty much my entire conscious life. <laughs> um, so both food and and activism, I would say, have always just been really defining parts of of me and the work I do. Um, in in kind of the early days after the the horrible attack on October seventh, I was rifling through some research I've done in the past on the subject, um, including some from my my high school days. Um, and, and seeing how little has changed uh, in terms of the suffering that um, the occupied peoples of Palestine have been enduring um, created a, a revived sense of urgency in me. I'm like, you know, yeah, it's been de- I, decades and decades. And I mean, decades. when I was a teenager, I was having this conversation uh, with my dad yeah. uh, at the dinner table. And he's a Holocaust survivor. And he, you know, he and I. We differed on a few things, but not really treating people like crap. So I used to say, you know, I think we should treat Palestinians better. And I didn't realize to the extent that uh, suffering was going on. You know, when I was living in New York City, I lived in an area that was a a considerable Dominican neighborhood. Mm. So the way I would look at it. When, when there was a drug bust, uh, Washington Heights was known as the drug capital of the world, blah, blah, blah. And the, the police used to block off entire sections of city streets and, and blocks of, uh, so people couldn't get in and out of their own buildings. And there was enough anger just for that kind of drug overplaying. Uh, and, and now... This blockade has been happening for quite some time. Yeah, yeah. Down there, you know, for since I was a teenager. Yeah. I mean, the the word you've said here is blocks, blockading, blocking actively, politically, um, very deliberately. And I, I think that's something that regardless of kind of where you stand on a lot of the, the broader aspects of the Israel and Palestine, uh, Israel-Palestine conflict, I think the blockade of water is something that, across parties and across perspectives we can and must agree that access to water um, a a fundamental human right that we've actually agreed upon by the UN since 2010 and actually preceding that we vote you need water (laughs) yeah that's actually why I got into water I mean for me I was a big political activist for quite some time ran for office in the New York side of the border Uh, and what I found was water was like you know, people in their parties are always fighting to get you know, or get over on something or, or, or trying to be right, let's say. Just yeah. your basic, not solving the problem, but just wanting to be right. And I said, like, I wanted to do something bigger, like with water. It doesn't care who you voted for. Water yes. doesn't care. It doesn't care. Yes, yes. Um, I think when the challenges uh, around access to water in Flint arose, that was one of those moments of national awakening where you you can vote for whoever you want, but you cannot stand there and say that that child doesn't deserve clean water. Um, However, in highly politicized moments um, and and conflicts, people people really do forget that that piece of their humanity. But I do believe everyone has that piece of humanity. Yeah, just like we have the other parts. Uh, We have, you know, as whole, complete human beings, you know, we we do have that evil part that we're not going to care, that we're not going to be empathetic, that we're going to want to win, that we're going to want to dominate, that it's just part of us. But the other part of us, you know, Lincoln said our better angels is the part that has acceptance, that 
that understands and 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 water can actually represent having that conversation yeah so tell me a little bit about some of the stuff that you've heard about as far as the blockading of water and how you know I also interviewed uh, Gideon Bromberg, who does uh, a group called Eco Peace Middle East, and he's he's standing for having water be a peacemaking thing. Because yeah. in that area of the world, a lot of this is, you know, resource wars. Yes. Too. Yeah, and uh, water has often been at the center of our discussions of how do we negotiate this this conflict. So even after the Oslo Accords. Um, there was still more discussion that was supposed to be had about how water would be divided and accessed. Um, as as many of us know, that that did not happen. There w- there was no no additional uh, negotiation after um, what was started with the Oslo Accords, and what that rendered was a really unfair distribution of power. Where um, in in the West Bank, Israel does have control over eighty percent of the water, um, the way it's accessed, the way it's distributed. Um, the West Bank and all Palestinians are dependent on how um, Israel chooses to draw and allocate and sell its water. Um, and that includes even selling water at different prices to settlers as opposed to Palestinians who need water, truly two different price points, which um, you, you can look up. So there, there's a lot happening, I think, um, in this discussion that makes it hard to talk about the facts. And I think one of those is that this situation started well before October 7th. Um, and, and to listeners who you know, might not agree or, or see this differently from the get-go, that's fine. But um, you, can, you can actually just see every year for the last 20 years, since 2005, when Israel, you know, the boots were off the ground, but the occupation on water sources has been sustained. Yeah, the yeah. Go- I mean, obviously, they, the military moved outside of Gaza. Yeah. However, they held the keys to the wall, so there's no access for getting out of there, getting in there, unless you go through multiple checkpoints. Yes. Things that I heard, I, I was sharing a little bit before about Gideon Bromberg and Eco Peace uh, Middle East. I heard about him on RT. Mm. And he's working with Jordanians and Palestinians. Uh, And those of you who are interested, you could go take a look at one of our previous podcast episodes on Middle East and peace and water. Uh, Bottom line is they were blockading parts for their desalination plants. So they couldn't actually get water. And, and, And like to... To go to your conversation about this happened in a vacuum, everything started in, yeah, the day of October 7th started when the sun came up. Yeah, that's true. However, if you're not responsible for the impact of your past actions on others, then you have no way, no no right to actually say this all started on October 7th because you're not you're not in touch with the impact of the actions. If you want to be responsible and say, hey, listen, uh, you know, this would be a breakthrough for Netanyahu. Listen, I know we've been very hurtful to the folks in our actions, to the folks on the other side of this border, and we apologize. I'm not saying that's going to happen. I doubt it. My My thing is, like, to have this conversation about this happen just on one day, that's that's actually intellectually dishonest. Yes, it's, it's one of the um, it's one of the parts of discussing anything pertaining to Palestine that makes it 
really impossible to understand the the depth and the breadth of the injustices because we have to look before October 7th. Um, so, for example, when it comes to water, um, you, you mentioned salination is, is the number one issue when it comes to water access and safety. Um, there is water, but it requires um, significant treatment and Israel controls the, ma- the means of that treatment. Israel has controlled the means of access to clean water since 1967. And between 1967 and today, there have only been 23 new wells created, 23. Palestinian population has seen rises and new distributions, and yet the access to getting a permit to build a well is under Israeli control. So at the same time, Israel has incredible technology as it comes to um, desalinizing, and they're they're actually doing some really incredible work to increase water access. Yeah, they do some really great work. They do work on uh, not just desalinization, but uh, de-desertification. Yeah. To reverse the desert. Yeah, the means is there. The means are there, right? The the technology is uh, objectively incredible. Um, they're going to be using that um, access to fresh water, which is um, higher, much higher than uh, what the average person, as dictated by the World Health Organization, um, you know, requires for every human being. Israel has a surplus, so they are looking to share that that water and sell it not with Palestinians. Okay, uh, for those just tuning in, you're listening to And So It Flows, the only show for H2O. Today's episode is Gaza and water, because it does connect. And at the same time, we're talking with Farah Momin. Farah Farah is a local entrepreneur, organizer of some of the pro-ceasefire rallies around in our area in Berkshire County. And we're having a conversation regarding water, and access to water in Gaza and, and, and other things regarding that conflict. Now, another piece that you're, you're, you're Tufty, right? You're, you go, uh, I made that word <laughs> up, but you, you went to Tufts and, or, or you did some nonprofit work. Tell people a little bit about that nonprofit work that you yeah. had done. We call ourselves Jumbos, which is not an intuitive <laughs> 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 title for someone who went to Tufts. Uh, I did my master's um, in, in business for social impact, which sounds like an oxymoron, but actually, you know, required me to sit at this intersection. It's a little uncomfortable. How do you um, make money and participate in a capitalist system while also caring about the people in the, in the world around us? Yeah. Um, and in that time, I started a nonprofit called The Now Exchange, where we bring health access and choice to um, women in the Bangladeshi, originally was a garment sector, and now, as it relates to this conversation, we're working in the coastal regions. Why? Because as we kept working, we saw the most vulnerable people are on the coastal lines. And that happens in more or less every country in terms of patterns. Um, the, the people who need the most are relegated to um, either rural areas or places with uh, significant water access issues. So that, that is a pattern. It's by design. And actually, this week, I got an update from our team on the ground um, that a lot of these women are suffering from quietly, suffering quietly because menstrual hygiene is a very taboo topic. Um, uh, they, their water is contaminated and they're getting rashes. Um, they're getting sick and they hold on to this because um, it relates to their menstrual hygiene and they don't talk about it. It's a taboo subject. Um, but this is a water issue. So even if you look at something on a high level, yeah, we're doing women's health, but what's at the crux of our health more than water? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I get it. It's so real. I mean, imagine a city the size of Pittsfield, which is uh, probably in landmass pretty close to the size of Gaza, mm-hmm. maybe a little smaller, maybe a little bigger. 
But still, what we're looking at here is imagine that whole city is blockaded, okay? Cut off all your electricity, all your cell phone service, everything, everything, everything cut off. No water either. And he did that for even for a few months. Would people in this area be upset with that? Um, how about if you didn't have access to fly out of Albany or fly out of Bradley? You, and you, that was for like uh, 75 years. What would that be like? Yeah. And then all that other stuff, checkpoints. Imagine if you needed a checkpoint to go to Great Barrington or you needed a checkpoint to go to Lenox and you couldn't leave. Uh, imagine if people took it. I mean, it did happen here. A lot of that kind of similar stuff happened. Just go ask folks in Stockbridge. Yeah. You know, yeah. it did happen. Uh, and, and I think as Americans, we could say, you know, genocide is part of our makeup. You know, we did genocide. And, and can we say that we evolved? That's the question. Yeah. So w what else are you hearing from the ground over there? Yeah. Um, well, just really quickly, I'm, I'm glad you asked that because you just did something really important, which is to take what's happening on the ground there and imagining it here because we have some massive human cognitive dissonance around um, things that are happening elsewhere to other people and to other people who might not look like us. Um, it is easier for us to put that in a different box and to look at us. I know and, I do yeah. it myself. We all do it. Yeah. I we, do it myself. Yeah. You know, why should I care? You know, yeah. like that's, that's, that's our own inner battles with caring, not caring, connecting, not connecting. Yes. Um, and I think two things I want to note here is, I, for those listening, I'm sure a lot of us are following um, the, the South African um, court case in the International Court of Justice, um, accusing and bringing evidence forth uh, to the accusation that Israel is conducting a genocide here. And water is actually a big part of the argument. I recommend everyone reads um, the, the case itself that was put forward. It's uh, 84 pages. And if you just look at how many times water is mentioned... It's all over the place, and that is because it's considered, um, a, a, you know, obviously a, a crucial means of life. And to prove a genocide is a genocide. You have to talk about the intent to remove all the uh, necessary means of life, including water. Um, and in this, they, they include wow. quotes. Okay, so this is where I think we can remove our political hats and just look at the facts, where we have the Minister of Defense saying we want to give them no electricity, no food, no water, no fuel. We are fighting human animals and we are acting accordingly. Wow. We have the Israeli Minister of Energy saying they will not receive a drop of water or a single battery until they leave the world. So these are direct quotes and they're just two so of many. So you mean you're, you're going to kill them and then you give them water and a battery as a like, hey, you're dead. Yes. You know, you can now have your water and your that's yes. that's that's pretty rad. I I kind of look at it like a crack addict, or a crack or or someone who's seriously addicted to something. And there's an addiction that goes on right now in Israel. And I am Jewish. For those of you who don't know, there's a there's it's kind of like going to a doctor that keeps you sick. It's like it's about time that we take a look at if we are constantly suffering this people not liking us it's time for us to actually look at what has them not like us it isn't the freedom my friend uh, or maybe it is if you give other people freedom if you give other people access to a life worth living they won't be bombing your 
They won't be shooting rockets at you. They'd be probably looking forward to going to your markets and hanging out. And, uh, you know, and is there stuff to deal with? Yeah, there's a lot of healing to do. However, there's no time like now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's impossible to have a conversation about the future when the present is so grim. So until we can solve some of these like really basic uh, injustices, then maybe we can create an equal playing field at some point for a real discussion on how yeah. this can be solved. But for now, you know, we see that people in Gaza have three liters of water a day. Um, it is, by, by international standards, supposed to be 15 for it to even be a famine. So this is at, we're at three liters of water a day, clean water a day, um, when 15 liters would, would be called famine-like conditions. This is wow. how, how low the, the access has become, how grim the situation is. And these are just, this is water. So you, we talked about earlier, we're talking about food, we're talking about energy. All of these things are influenced by water. Um, so it's not even just as simple as me, you know, not having a glass of water to drink, to put it crassly. It is all of the things in the system in our days that are affected by water. And there, there are countless accounts of people really just designing their days right now um, to survive. And by survive, I mean chasing water. Very chasing water, chasing yeah. food. Yeah. yeah, I got it. For those of you who are just tuning in, you're listening to And So It Flows, your only show for H2O. We're... We're at the tail end of an interview with Farah Momin, who's been active in, uh, in kind of bringing the Gaza story forward here in, in Berkshire County. She's also an entrepreneur. She's also someone who does stuff in nonprofit. Uh, so we, we got like a two minutes. Okay. So how can people participate in, in any education you're doing or any way that people can participate in bringing a a new future to this region. Yeah, I mean, I really think we have to break down all of the things that are stopping us from talking. So at Bondu, I create a space that celebrates all stories, Palestinian stories, Jewish stories, my story as a Bangladeshi American. And I really think we need to have that baseline respect for each other again so that we can actually negotiate the things that matter, like access to water. Yeah, Bondu is, yeah. is a restaurant, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're, we're at the old mill on the floss, a beloved uh, institution here in the Berkshires. And we welcome people back and we also welcome to a new space to learn about new people and new stories. Yeah, yeah. Take a look. At, uh, you know, one of the best things I find is the ways to people's hearts is one way is through food and i you know really thank you how can is there a way that people could connect with you to find out more how they can participate in creating a new community on earth yeah um if if you want to find me on my website uh bondubasha.com we're also on instagram uh, this is a small community, so uh, my goal is to open up the, the doors. My doors literally come in and talk, continue this conversation, and we'll, we'll have a lot more in the future. Yeah, and thanks. Thanks for joining us today at And So It Flows. It's, such a, it's so great to have this conversation, to really have it be okay. You can actually talk about stuff, yes. and that's one of the things that water provides. We got a little bit more music coming your way. Uh, next part is by Coldplay. And this is Every Teardrop is a Waterfall. You're listening to And So It Flows, your only show for H2O, here at 89.7 WTBR-FM, Pittsfield Community Radio.
You're listening to And So It Flows, your only show for H2O. I'm your super waterman, Ambassador for Water. Thanks again for tuning in. 
because I love you and water is love. And we're going to end with a quote by Colleen Hoover. Love is a lot like water. It can be calm, raging, threatening, soothing. Water will be many things, but even in all its forms, it will always be water. You are my water. I think I might be yours too. Thanks again for joining us. And so it flows. Your only show for H2O. We're going to be coming back soon with another water show. Not sure what the topic's going to be, but stay tuned. There's so much goodness when it comes to water. Lemon, osmosis, carbonated, stilled,